Hello everyone and welcome to season 3 of the Global Career Schools podcast from the University of London Career Service. In this season, listening to stimulating careers conversations between a member of our team and professionals working in a range of sectors based across the globe. Join us as we speak to those alumni that embarked on a variety of careers journey. Nasleo Joglu, Governance Advisor for Skyjet, a startup that has designed an AI-powered product management solution, is the speaker of this episode. Interviewed by our career consultant Gemma Garrett, Nasli will describe her journey through the legal sector shifting from private practice to human rights and her current legal advisory role in technology. She will also share how she efficiently managed her time as an LLM student at the University of London Distance Learning Programme alongside a full-time job and about the setbacks that have helped her to obtain her current role. Hi, Nasli, and a very warm welcome to our Global Careers podcast. It's a real pleasure to um, be talking to you today. So how are you? Thanks, Gemma. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm doing well. I'm dialing in from Sydney, Australia, so I'm very excited to have a chat to you. Yeah, great. I'm really excited to be talking to you today as well. So, Nasli, as, as you probably know from your time studying with us, um, at the University of London, some of our students are career starters and early stage of their career development journey, often with limited workplace experience. Some of our students are career developers, so they might already be working in an industry and are studying to perhaps enhance or progress their careers in some way. And some are career changers using their studies to help them perhaps pivot career direction and move into a different area. So my first question is, when you studied with the University of London, would you have described yourself as a career starter, a career developer or a career changer or perhaps somewhere in between? Because people don't always fit neatly into those categories. Yeah, that's right, Gemma. I think um, for me personally, I... I find it very hard to kind of categorize myself into one of the three of those. So I think that I fit somewhere in between a career starter and a career developer. Um, And that obviously comes down to a number of factors like, you know, working during my degrees um, and already having experience in lots of different industries, but also um, developing my career and, and then starting in a completely different space that I hadn't had experience when I was at the University of London. So it's it's a mixture of both and it'll probably make a little bit more sense as to how I landed in between the two of those a little bit further on. Yeah, great. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I guess with that in mind, it would be great to hear a little bit about your career so far. So could you tell us a little bit about your your journey from studying with us to your, your current role? Yeah. Uh, So I uh, started at the University of London. I enrolled um, in late 2019 and I did the Masters of Law, so the LLM program. And I had just was just getting prepared to to start really um and then the pandemic hit so my cohort and I were the first batch of students that had to you know deal with the the real um impacts of the pandemic um and everyone was kind of learning as we went so that was the university all the support staff all of the teachers all of the students and we were in a whole different world um so that was the probably um very you know it was interesting but it was despite it being such a such a bad impact on 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 the world um it was probably the thing that made studying that much more interesting and i think we actually as a cohort blended and um kind of worked together a lot better so 
that's when I started. So in 2020, um, at that stage, I had already finished my undergrad um, inter in international studies and also did my LLB um, in Sydney, Australia. And I already had a couple of years under my belt working in private law um, in Australia. So I had dabbled in lots of different spaces. So I worked in family law and, and decided that that wasn't for me. Um, I then worked uh, for a, a civil boutique firm um, and that really focused on class actions. And so that was very fun, very exciting. And then also did some work on human rights um, cases and that kind of made me interested and wanted me to kind of continue going. Um, but my passion for human rights was something that was well before I started my university journey. It was something that I um, did as, as a young girl. Um, I was very much so into my volunteering, so I did it every chance that I got after school, on weekends, um, really dedicated a lot of my time because I wanted to give back. And so when I finished my LLB in Sydney, I was travelling and I heard some fantastic things about the University of London um, and it really just fit what I was looking for. Um, and so I decided to embark on that journey. Um, and at that point, I also came to the realisation that I didn't want to be in private practice, um, being a advocate in you know, a specific area of law was not something that fit my personality, I didn't think. And I, I wanted something that was a little bit more challenging little bit more challenging and also more importantly that didn't have billable hours so I then found myself in technology so throughout my master's degree I was working um, in the technology space and for me it was a whole new world um, and it was interesting to me because I was very interested in how I could bring what I am so passionate about being human rights and how I could bring it into this very new space of technology. So I actually uh, started working for a group of artificial intelligent startups that, uh, you know, uh, built on uh, machine learning and, and really rich data analytics. And so I wanted to kind of make sure that this very scary thing that we know as AI and, yeah. um, you know, vision analytics and computers is actually not very scary and kind of translate into to legal terms um, what it would mean uh, to look for it to look like an ethical um, thing for us in the future. So that's that's essentially my journey and, and how I kind of um, did that. But I think it was also important for me to to make sure that I continued doing my humanitarian side of things. Um, and and so I did that through my um, some uh, work at the Australian Red Cross. So I I sat on the um, national board of directors. Uh, so I was a non-executive director for the Australian Red Cross um, for two years where I, I used my my legal knowledge, obviously, but also my, my human rights uh, knowledge that was, you know, I was studying at the time and it, it all kind of all came together really well. And it was um, lots of different puzzle pieces that, you know, obviously ended up being my story. So a little bit long, a little bit long winded, um, but. Yeah, that's that's how I've got here and, and how I kind of transitioned through the journey of of um, studying at the University of London.
Wow, no, thank you so much for sharing that. It sounds like you've had a really interesting journey and also just achieved so much in, in quite a short space of time, getting all those different experiences and volunteering from an early age and then getting that legal experience when you're initially studying in Australia as well and really then finding ways to um, make sure your your passion for, for human rights and humanitarian work kind of was able to follow you through that career path in different ways as well. So no, it'd be great to know a little bit more about um, some of what you've shared and also how you've sort of found found the area that you really wanted to specialise in, in terms of your legal work and, and moving away from the kind of the private practice side into a different area as well. So um, so I just wanted to pick up, Nasli, um, perhaps a little bit about um, how you were gaining some of that work experience while you were actually studying your LLB in Australia. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because we often get questions from students about how to get that legal experience. So it'd be great yeah. to hear a bit more about your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my my uh, first story of how I got my first internship is actually a very funny one. Well, I find it very funny. Um, so I was in my first year. So I was um, at, at this point, I hadn't done any legal classes in high school. So I kind of came out and I was at university. I was in my second semester going in and I just knew that I needed to to get into the field to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And so I uh, saw that there was an event that was being held that was sponsored by a, a local law firm. And so I just said, I'm, I'm going to register and I'm, I'm, go I'm going to go to this fundraiser. And yeah. so I went to this fundraiser and obviously before then I had, you know, done my due diligence and, and gone online to see what certain people looked like at the firm. And so I knew I could put a face to, to who I was looking for in the room. Um, and so obviously, you know, I, I went and I had a nice time and spoke to lots of different people. Um, but then I ended up finding myself in a circle, having a conversation um, with, you know, a, a partner at the firm. And I introduced myself and told him what I, you know, have done in my community, why I was interested, if he could just please give me an interview to so I can just put myself forward to him and, and, and see if I can do anything, like I will do anything. Um, and you know, I, I got an email a couple of days later and got invited for an interview. I did the interview um, and that's kind of how I landed. I, I, I got the job and I stayed there for um, the summer period. So I did an internship for four months there. And then it was very easy for me to then transition um, to somewhere else because I had that experience. So I, I find that the, the first time um, getting something, it, it can be you know, a little bit difficult, it could be a little bit slow, um, yeah. but it's just getting that first one and everything after that just comes really easily. Yeah, I no, think it's a great story. <laughs> and, and and as you say, it's that it's often getting that first foot in the door. And, and so, you know, putting yourself out there, going to an event, doing that research beforehand so you knew which people to kind of <laughs> pinpoint in the room exactly. <laughs> and speak to and, and doing that research so you you know you knew what to talk about and what they would be interested in as well preparing a bit your elevator pitch maybe yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so, and then following up so no that's that's fantastic and as you say once you've got that experience things can often grow from there because you've got the networks and and you've got um some some you know experience in the workplace as well so yeah thank you for sharing that um and you talked a little bit about um while you were traveling finding out a bit more about the university of london and also kind of having that realization that perhaps uh private practice wasn't the area that you wanted to carve out your career in could you tell us a little bit more about how you came to that conclusion 
Yeah, so I look for, for me before I um, I actually had some girlfriends that were studying um, in London at the King's College. So they had mm. done um, an exchange and um, they were telling me about, you know, how great, you know, their university was and, you know, how much they were enjoying the programs. Um, and at that point, I had been working a lot. So I, I was at this point, I'd been maybe three and a half years um, working as a law clerk and I was uh, working five days a week um, full time and I would do my classes in the evenings. So I would, you know, finish work around six o'clock and I would make it to my 6.30 evening class, which would go for three hours. Um, and I'd do that, you know, four nights a week. I'd then do wow. um, some classes on the weekend. And so this was like a, a constant for, for almost four years. And so obviously I was very tired. Yeah, um, that's intense. Yeah. And so, I never, <laughs> and so I never really had that, you know, true student experience. Um, I was always kind of working and, and getting that experience from a different perspective by being in the workplace um, and then also studying. But I found that actually working in the industry was really helpful to me in my studies and vice versa. Um, it, it really just helped me understand things and the way that they worked practically rather than in theory, which I think is very important when you're in the in the law. Um, and so when I realized that Obviously, I mean, at that time I was, you know, quite exhausted and I kind of had a, a moment where I said, oh, I think I want to try something that I haven't tried um, for the last six years, which was being an in-house counsel, right? Mm -hmm. So you work predominantly for one client, which is a company, um, and, and that's it. You have only one client that you're taking care of in comparison to 25, 30, 50 you know, depending where you are in your career, right? So uh, that was something that I hadn't tried yet. And so I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. And that, I just, you know, kind of decided to jump um, both feet in. And it was probably the best decision I ever made. No, that's great. And it's great when you had so much going on to sort of take the moment to pause and really think about what you wanted to do next as well and, and, and kind of making that change because I think sometimes it's easy to just be on this treadmill of, of doing what we're doing and actually you know taking a moment to just to just break and reflect on whether that's still the right thing for us so yeah thank you for sharing that um, and, and you talked about kind of bringing your human rights from from your um, your University of London qualification into the tech space and, and working with some of those artificial intelligence startups as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about sort of your role in that space and perhaps some of your, your responsibilities that you had and, and how you found that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, th this is probably the, the most exciting um, part of my day jobs. And I say that with an S only because I, I work <laughs> across a number of them that all do very different things, but still in the same tech space. I think now we're transitioning into a world where data and privacy are all very important things as things become more technologically advanced. Um, and so understanding what uh, an individual's um, rights are for technology is something that I believe will become part of our core human rights. And I think, you know, that's quite evidently seen through um, existing frameworks such as the GDPR um, and how seriously, you know, countries and businesses are actually taking that now because 
it, it really is, you know, a major threat to humans. And so my my role is really to make sure that the the human rights lens is actually take into consideration when these technologies are being built and that there is an ethical element to them. Um, because, you know, when people throw these words around like artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics, we're collecting footage um, and you see those signs when you're walking around the street, it is it is very scary for someone who doesn't understand um, how it works and where that information is going. And I really think that having... Um, someone who understands human rights but also understands the technology that goes behind it and bringing them both together could really um, help people feel a little bit more comfortable as we move forward into what the future is going to look like. So it, it does have a lot to do with, you know, obviously you have your very standard uh, a day in the life things of, you know, reviewing contracts, um, putting together data processing agreements, things like that. So it, it's the usual things that you would expect, but obviously being part of a startup, you also um, have a lot of different hats. And I like to say that I have a hat hanger near my desk where I change yeah. what I'm actually doing, right? So some days I have a little bit of elements of, you know, business development. Other days I have some elements of, you know, it could be, um, workers' rights and, and human resources. So it, it kind of just like fluctuates, but, you know, obviously a startup is is no different to um, in any other business. So the, the governance um, of the business is also very important. So the governance really relates to the um, legal running of a business and how to make sure that all of the requirements of the country that you're running, um, the business is actually complying with all of the appropriate laws. Um, everyone is doing the correct things, such as the um, directors and your management, and then also facilitating things like board meetings um, and, you know, making sure that that all kind of runs as well. So there's there's lots of different elements that um, are involved in, in being in-house. Um, and they're very different to being in private practice. So I would highly recommend anyone who hasn't considered uh, an in-house uh, type of career or role even to start off with, um, highly encouraged to have a look at that because um, it definitely surprised me um, and I hadn't considered it really. And I'm really glad that I did take the chance. Oh, great. And I love that idea of you having that hat hanger and the different hats that you wear in, in order to kind of do the, do the different functions um, within those startups. And yeah, so no, thank you. And great advice as well to kind of try different things for people that haven't considered it um, before as well. So, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I also wanted to ask you a little bit, if I may, about your um, your non-executive director role with the Red Cross. It would be great to hear a bit more about how you got involved with that and what some of that work involved as well. Yeah. So, look, the the Australian Red Cross and the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement has, um, you know, it, it obviously has been doing some amazing, amazing work over many, many years and across, you know, um, so many countries. And the way that I got involved with that was I have always been an avid um, volunteer and I just love giving back to the community and I just had someone reach out to me um, who had saw this opportunity and just thought Naz this is something that you you really need to consider um, you, you have the skills you know uh, I at 
you know, in my day jobs, I kind of look after the board and the general governance of those businesses. So I actually sit on the other side um, in terms of reporting to the board of directors on on how the business is going, um, going through all of the different, um, you know, board papers that include things like, you know, financials, um, updates on, on team, product, sales, all that kind of thing. So I sit on one certain side of the table, um, but this would have really given me an opportunity to sit on the other side of the table where yeah. the reporting kind of came into me, which was, I think for me, it was an opportunity that I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go for it. And I, and I, and to, to be quite frank, I actually did not expect, um, to, to be appointed and I think that I had a lot to do with my age at the time so it's it's actually not very common to have um, young people as you know as non-executive directors particularly of very large organizations like um, the Australian Red Cross but um, you know I, I was appointed and and during that time it was really a lot of work around um, changing um, governance structures and Obviously, that involves things like reviewing an existing constitution and what the rules allow for, and then what you can do around those rules. So um, a lot of companies have these constitutions and they have appropriate articles. And there's lots of work that goes into if you do want to change a certain structure about something. Um, and a lot of the work was really just to make sure that we were going through the appropriate steps. And also at the same time, we wanted to really voice um, our, you know, our interest and, and our care for the young people who are part of the organisation um, and make sure that they felt included and, and, and build strategies collaboratively. So it was a very exciting time um, to be involved for sure. That sounds amazing and a real achievement to have got involved at, at such a young age as well. So congratulations. And you mentioned that someone reached out to you to tell you a bit about that opportunity as well. Would you say that kind of your networks have been quite important to you? in developing your career? Yes, my networks have been very, very important to me. And I always get asked about how to either start or how to continue. Um, and look, I was very hesitant when I was a lot younger to kind of go to places where I didn't know people. And I was also hesitant yeah. to go by myself, um, mm. which now looking back, I think, why was I so worried? Because the best times that I've ever had um, at networking events has, has been by myself because I've had to kind of push myself out of that comfort zone and speak to people. Otherwise, I would be standing there by myself. Um, yeah. And so I think, yes, my, my network has been very important and it's really come down to me taking any opportunity that's presented um, to me. But I will also say that I have somewhat created opportunities for myself as well and gone looking for yeah. them um it's it's really not something that's you know you know fallen in my inbox or mm. um someone's kind of handed to me it's like you should definitely do this sometimes it's really you know going onto google and having a look at what's going on around you what the events are and seeking that out yourself mm. um and i will also say that in addition to your networks, it's also very important to have um, a number of mentors. Mm. And the the mentors, I would say, usually some usually people say one mentor. I'm going to say more than one mentor, and and I say that I say that because um, you want different types of mentors for the different aspects of your life slash career. 
Um, so, you know, you'd obviously want someone who is practicing in the space that you may want to be in one day. Um, yeah. If you have a different element to your career that you want to add, so for example, you wanted someone who had directorship experience, you would try and find a mentor that does that. And finding a mentor is also not something that you kind of force either. It's kind of something that develops naturally when you go to these networking events. Um, and you, when you meet this person and you speak to them and you, you know, continue keeping in touch, it's you'll just know that this is the person um, for you to to keep in touch with um, and have that guidance. So definitely don't force it. Wait, wait for the um, for 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 nature to take its course, um, and your mentor will most definitely find you. Thank you. That's that's really helpful advice. And we do get a lot of questions around networking and finding mentors. So it's really helpful to hear that. And also to hear, as you were saying, sometimes it can be really daunting to go to events and particularly to go on our own. But actually getting in there and getting stuck into the conversations often is very enjoyable. People do like talking about themselves often. And, you know, yeah. it's it's such a fantastic way, but it is about sometimes putting yourself out of that comfort exactly. zone. And it, yeah. And, and it's kind of finding as you say, not forcing it with mentors, but just keeping in touch with them and finding where it kind of falls naturally as well and where you have that, where you click with somebody. So that's really helpful advice. Oh, you also talked about being open to different opportunities, but you've actually had to go out there and get some of them. But sometimes when people have, you know, um, put you forward for, for opportunities, not being afraid to say no and, and getting involved with different things as well, but having that proactivity and taking ownership of, of your career and development, um, I think is really valuable advice as well absolutely. and being willing to put yourself out there. So, yeah, great. Thank yeah, you. Um, and, you know, you have achieved so much. Um, you've been involved with so many different things. I was just wondering if you have throughout your career faced any kind of setbacks or barriers or challenges um, and if you could maybe share with us a little bit about what that was and, and how you dealt with it at the time. I I would probably say I'm one of the more positive people in this world <laughs> and yeah. I say that because I don't really consider things as setbacks um, or you know blockers. I'm, I'm most definitely a, a, calf, a cup half full person where if, if something didn't you know didn't go according to my plan which happens all the time so despite being a planner sometimes it doesn't work out and that's okay um it's just about how you kind of carry on pick up and, and carry on after that and I'm a, a real believer that you know if it was meant to be then it would have been for you so you kind of have to then pivot and say okay so if this didn't work out or if this is the blocker that's in my way I wonder what other option I have and I often find that the other option or the thing that comes immediately after that um, is significantly better than what you wanted in the first place anyways. So I think what would technically be considered a setback was when I decided to leave private practice and um, I enrolled at the University of London. I had a couple of months where I just didn't know what I wanted to do and I felt like I had so many blockers in my way because every time I tried to get in and do something despite having all this experience and I finished my degrees I was just not getting the traction that I wanted and now I'm actually in the space that I never expected that I would be I never thought that I would be a human rights lawyer working in tech like <laughs> it's a complete juxtaposition in my brain. If you told me that when I was, you know, 22, I would have laughed and said, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that 
three months that I didn't have exactly what, you know, as what my plan had set out, I then ended up falling into something so much better. So I would definitely encourage everyone to kind of either one, continue and kind of have this similar outlook, um, but also to just kind of learn that it's an experience and you just need to pivot and you need to move on because it's it's not something that's going to kind of stop. So the better that you um, take it, um, it'll definitely be a lot better for your overall well-being, but also for your career as well. Yeah, thank you. That's really valuable advice because I think, as you say, sometimes when we meet what feel like setbacks at the time or blockages, it can be you know difficult to deal with. But having that really positive outlook in terms of it might lead us in a different direction that ultimately is going to be better. And, you know, and we all do face those setbacks and barriers as well, even if we've got lots of experience behind us and we've done lots of things. But it's about picking yourself up and, and kind of thinking about where it might take you next in terms of another avenue that you perhaps haven't thought of. So thank you. That's that's really helpful, that kind of positive mindset approach to dealing with um, with different things that life throws at us. <laughs> Um, Leslie, I wanted to ask you, if I may, a question about some of the skills perhaps you felt you were developing through your uh, University of London human rights qualification in terms of perhaps some of the soft skills and the transferable skills that you might have developed as well that have been really helpful in terms of your career as well as that specialist knowledge. I wondered if you could share a little bit about those types of skills. Well, I think that the skills that I, I developed um, doing my LLM uh, has definitely really changed the way that I operate. I definitely used to be a the night or the day before type of person when it came to mm. assessments and everything really. If it wasn't due in the next 12 hours, then I wasn't really going to knuckle down um, and, and that's really a lot to do with you know the very fast pace of you know the legal industry um, yeah. and so during my degree I, I really really spent time planning out my days and allocating certain hours to block out um, study time review time um, talking with classmates, things like that. So I then became someone who was very reliant on my diary and calendar, um, which was, you know, something that really helped me um, in planning out my my days because my job just became so much more busier every day um, and I, I needed to kind of fit everything in. Um, so, yeah, that was probably, you know, one of the the best skills that I was able to to kind of um, put together. Um, another one that I would say is just really taking the time. I mean, obviously, it was a very self-paced type of degree, um, but I found it I found it probably more rewarding to actually speak with the students and engage with them, and that's mm. because. All of the students that were in my cohort were absolutely amazing and they had some fantastic careers um, and so much experience themselves to start with. And kind of just talking with them about what they were thinking about, you know, um, certain content, what their opinions were, exchanging ideas, going through all of that process, despite the fact that we were in two lockdowns and in Australia we had some very serious lockdowns um it was 
it was so refreshing and it actually felt like we were in a classroom and it was so beneficial and it just made it so much more rewarding. Um, and, you know, I think I would say that I learned from my colleagues um, equally what I learned from my professors. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And I think that aspect of networking amongst your peers as well, um, as you say, is so valuable in terms of learning, in terms of ideas to enhance your studies, but also in terms of thinking about your wider career options and career development as well, being able to interact with people from all over the world at, at different career stages and with different interests and experiences. So, um, so Nazli, my final question to you is, what advice would you give somebody that's perhaps either starting out in the legal sector or maybe changing career and moving into the legal sector for the first time is there anything in particular building on the other great advice you've given us already in the session that you would give to somebody that that is just starting out or moving into this area well i would give a few more pieces of advice um the first one i would say is just get out there um, whether it be through networking, whether it be through uh, LinkedIn, whether it be in person at your university, um, find where you want to gain the experience and just go for it. Um, a very good piece of advice that was given to me once upon a time is the worst thing that a person could say is no. So if you can accept someone saying, oh, no, thank you, I'm not interested in in doing that or no I'm all right thanks um that's likely the the you know the worst possible outcome so if you're okay with that then mm -hmm. go for it get yourself out there um in terms of you know study I can't stress how important it is to to do your time management and I, I know everyone has heard this a million and one times I also heard it a million and one times but it is yeah. so important um and it will really help you get the most out of your degree and it'll also help you get the most out of um, your career because you really need it to kind of get that work-life balance, particularly in the legal industry. It's very hard to kind of lose sight of your life and it all becomes very work-related. So time management is absolutely key. And the third one I would say is go for what you actually genuinely enjoy in terms of um, the area that you practice. So if you have hit a wall and you say, this is just not what I'm looking for, this is not, you know, the area that I want to practice in, it's okay. You can go to another, you can try something else. Um, it's never too late. There are so many people that I know that have changed different areas of practice and it's always fine. It never ends in disaster. So um, I would highly recommend to make sure that you try everything out and you find the one thing that really fits because it makes waking up in the morning and going to work so much more rewarding. Thank you. That's brilliant advice. And yeah, I love that, that idea of just trying different things out because sometimes actually trying it gives you that real insight that you can't get perhaps just from reading about it, um, but also not feeling that you're ever going to be trapped in a particular area because I think that's quite freeing in terms of not being paralysed by that, that decision of having to pick a particular area and being stuck there forever. So Thank you, Nazi, so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and hearing about what an interesting career you've had, hearing your insights. Thank you, Gemma, for having me. And also a very big thank you to the University of London. It was so valuable and I just keep on raving it on about it to all my colleagues and all my friends. Great. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day, Nazli. 
This was the third season of the Global Career Schools podcast brought to you by the University of London Career Service, this time devoted to the law sector. You can find our episodes on your favorite streaming platform, including ACAS, Spotify, Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts, and many more. All links and resources are in the episode notes. This episode was presented by Gemma Garrett and edited and introduced by Bush Genou. We'll publish more episodes in the following weeks with some inspiring stories from our global graduate cohort. So please subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time for a new global career score.